Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. You should be able to hear the magnetic resonance. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good evening, or morning, or afternoon, whichever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the event horizon where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time for a journey into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. Every week, we feature writers, lecturers, artists, filmmakers, and other talented creators of the fabric of this marvelous continuum we call science fiction. I am your host, Gene Turnbow, founder and station manager for Krypton Radio, and with me is Susan Fox, the station's executive producer. (laughs) She does that different every time, and it always cracks me up. Tonight, we are pleased and delighted to have with us as our special guest, American science fiction and fantasy novelist James Palmer, co-editor and publisher of the new pulp anthology, Monster Earth, and editor-in-chief of Mechanoid Press. James, welcome to the show. Glad. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Glad we finally got things squared away so that we can, we could get you here. And that's a big roar for Monster Earth. So yes. Can you tell what us about... a cool book that was. It was an anthology of stories of what <clears throat> if monsters like giant monsters from Japanese monster movies were real. Not, not the specific trademarked character monsters, but things that big and that destructive. But there's a Japanese word for that. What's... Um, uh, uh, daikaiju. Daikaiju. Oh, which, is, which is giant monster. Kaiju is monster. Oh, great. So, how did this anthology come about? And uh, where, where were you at the point when you decided it was going to be time to create this anthology? Well, um, I don't know how it is for everybody else, but for, for me, these things kind of happen quite by accident, um, almost. And it's kind of like, well, it seemed like a good idea at the time, <laughs> sort of thing. But uh, <clears throat> I'll let the readers decide if, if it was a good idea or not. But um, I am part of an email group. Uh, called the Pulp Factory, and it's 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 a it's a Yahoo group made up of uh, pulp uh, writers, artists, uh, publishers, and fans. And I was having a conversation with some of them one day, and um, my co-editor Jim Beard said something about you know I like giant monsters. I don't even know what the original topic was. He said I like, I like giant monsters, and I emailed back and said I like giant monsters too, and I had. For a while, I had been thinking of what would be a cool anthology to do as my first kind of project for Mechanoid Press, and I thought, hey, giant monsters. But I wanted 
a an overall kind of theme or story arc to tie it together i did i didn't just want to do a book with unrelated giant monster stories uh, those have been done before and they're great but i wanted to do something different and then jim came back and and he said i've got a good idea for it and he, he laid it out for me um and I, which I, I thought the idea was just great, so we just took it and, and ran with it. I, I give a lot of credit to Jim. Um, I, I tell everybody without uh, Jim's input and assistance with it, it, this thing would still be on my to-do list. This sounds like one of those, um, you know, how the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came about stories. You know, how, how it ended, <clears throat> started out as a doodle on the back of a napkin in a restaurant, and then all of a sudden it went it just went big and became this huge hairy thing that had a life of its own. How's the anthology been doing? It's been doing quite well. You know, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not selling Stephen King numbers or anything like that. Um, but yeah, but I, I've, I don't I've think been... even Stephen King still sells Stephen King numbers. <laughs> Probably not, but uh, he's got the money anyway, so he doesn't care. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it, it's done it's done quite well. Uh, fans have liked it. Everybody who's read it has pretty much got what it was trying to do. Um, you know, I wanted to harken back to the old you know Godzilla movies and stuff, and and people get that about this book. Uh, the reviews have been great. Um, I've had a few people say that they wanted more giant monsters uh, in it. I, I focused on kind of on the human angle with the stories. Um, but overall, it's it's been very positive, and it, it's still uh, my biggest seller. It's still selling quite well. Yeah, you almost have to focus on the human element because you know, I mean, the, giant monsters don't have a lot of dialogue, and they don't have a lot of emotional range either. So, exactly, exactly. And what was cool is you know, and that's that's all I gave my writers was I wanted it to focus on the human angle, and, and they they just took that and ran with it. Some of them focused on. You know, what kind of a world would this be with giant monsters in it? Very alternate history. Uh, there's a couple of those stories in there. How much um, disruption to human events giant monsters would cause. Exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, how do you, how do you live in a city that ha that houses a giant monster? Um, you know, how, how different, how stuff like Vietnam would have gone differently with giant monsters, that kind of thing. So I, I've been very pleased with, uh, with all the stories and with, uh, fan and and critical reaction to it it's, it's gotten some great reviews uh british science fiction association uh reviewed it uh different giant monster bloggers and things have reviewed it so it's, it's been really good has it been translated in japanese yet oh i'd love to see the reaction from from the homeland oh fr from the source yeah straight from the source that would that would be cool but yeah no no if, if someone out there is a japanese translator uh you know get in touch with me but uh, no, I haven't. I haven't gone that route yet. It's just English language right now. Well, we do have a few Japanese listeners. Uh, if they wanted to get in touch with you, how would they do that? They can email. They can email me at uh, Palmer Writer W R I T R at yahoo dot com or JamesPalmerBooks dot com website. Yes, or MechanoidPress dot com. So, how many stories are in the anthology? There are seven stories. And you've written one of them. Did you have any guidance over the rest, or did you just let them have <clears throat> their, their will with the world? 
You know, I um, I, I knew the crop of writers we had would do a bang up job, and I, you know, we did a story bible and send it out and just let them run with it. You can't destroy Michigan, okay? You know, we need that for another story later, that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, you know, we just had, you know, you could make up your own monsters. There's a few established monsters, and, and he, uh, one of those guys shows up in a couple of the stories, um, you know, and just, uh, you know, I, I like giving people kind of guidelines and a, and a few constraints and then seeing what they create within that. I didn't micromanage or, uh-huh. I, you know, I, di- I didn't send back a story and say, well, this needs to be, you know, whatever. Um, I, I had one that needed to be cut a little bit, and I, I told her, you know, where to cut. But, I mean, that, w- that was it um, as far as my input on them. <sighs> That's what an editor does, I'm afraid. Yeah. <clears throat> So you mentioned uh, that uh, you mentioned a, a story bible for the yes. for the anthology. So did this uh, did this establish the world in which the writers would be functioning, or did it just lay out lay out some of the ground rules for generally formulating stories to go in the anthology? Uh, it it did a little of both. It, it laid the groundwork. Um, each story takes place during a decade of the Cold War. Um, starting with before World War II and moving up into my story takes place in the, sometime in the 1980s. Um, and just kind of, there was, there was a few kind of geopolitical things that, uh, that, uh, myself and Jim Beard put in there. And then just, you know, that we wanted to focus on the human element. You know, you, you know, you can create your own monsters, that sort of thing. So that was, Pretty much it. So, are we looking at a Monster Earth two? We are actually. Um, the the Jim Beard, Jim Beard has written the Bible. Uh, he's come up with a uh, very pulpy concept, even more pulpy than this one. Uh, <laughs> Monster and, Mars. <laughs> and well, it it it, it goes into the nineties because I wanted to do something with genetic manipulation. Um, just imagine it if we, you know. Crack the monster genome, Uh-oh. that kind of no, thing. Monsanto what kind of monsters. what? Yeah, what kind of stuff we can do with that? So there's there, there's a lot there of that. There's, there's there's you know espionage and there's like weird monster cults and just all kind of stuff like that. So I'm um, <clears throat> I'm excited about this one. It's wow! You're just pulling out all the stops. Websites. Plush toys, everything. The know. truth is out there. Conspiracy <laughs> theorists who turn out to be right. You know it well, and it's it kind of it kind of put me in mind of kind of a Lovecraft Cthulhu kind of flavor too. So I want to throw some of that in there. Um, so you, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm you know I'm ready to see where it can go. I, I'm I'm just waiting for the uh, half hour weekly animated series, <laughs> and, and I'll be happy. Well, you know, they do that in Japan. Stranger things have happened. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. uh, so many of uh, so many of the creative ventures <clears throat> that we've been seeing uh, across our desk in the last month have turned out to be transmedia efforts. Uh, there's a comic book, uh, uh, children, uh, child vampire hunters. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember. Do they the exact hunt child titles. vampires, or are they children they're who children hunt vampires? Who, they're children who hunt vampires. Mm. Buffy was almost that. She was in high school. Yeah, and but these are younger. Yeah, and but the guys, 
not only got the comic book, but he's written the soundtrack. He's got a musical score for it as well. Nice. And um, uh, comic books that uh, uh, that get animated work done from them, you know, short animations and mm-hmm. uh, and a comic book that I that, uh, a comic strip that I ran across just recently, which is you're gonna laugh. It's what if Fred Flintstone was cast as Captain Kirk. <laughs> And it's called Stone Trek, and it was it was done by a guy named. Uh, well, you know, we, we live in a in a multimedia kind of, kind of age now. I, I think all creators are doing themselves a great disservice if they don't kind of think about that stuff. Um, you know, what else can you spin it into? How can you advertise it during, using other media? Um, you know that that kind of thing. It's it's so expensive to start. Um, a new intellectual property. I mean, uh, in the old days, what you did was you took your idea to a studio or a publisher and you pitched it, and you did you wrote up a, a treatment, and they either liked it or told you to get the hell out. And right. if they liked it, then they produced it, and they pretty much owned you. And you got some percentage, and that's not how the business works at all anymore. Right. It's not that way with publishing, and it's starting to not be that way with everything else either. But if you want to put out the lunchbox, the beach towel, you know, Monster Earth, the the floor wax, you can do it. <laughs> yeah. Monster Earth, the flamethrower. <laughs> I'd the buy kids one. love this one. Monster yeah. Earth, it's a dessert topping and the <clears throat> floor wax. Mm. <laughs> so... <laughs> I, I think there's potential there. I mean, you, uh, have you thought about uh, have you thought about selling book related swag? You know, Monster Earth T-shirts or Monst- slow gin yeah. labeled with slow gin. If you know there you go. Yeah. That's you know, I'll just have to see if if you know that that that's kind of a thing. If somebody really likes, I guess, the cover art and and wants it on a T-shirt, you know, I, I could do something like that. But I, you know, I'm waiting to see kind of what people ask for um i'm i'm not gonna print up you know a garage full of t-shirts and and then not be able to do anything with them what you do is you you find somebody who can manufacture them on demand and have them drop shipped so that you never have to handle the merchandise yourself right and there's places that can do that Yeah, you know, you don't have the you don't have the facilities to warehouse stuff. Yeah. We've been talking about doing the same thing ourselves with the radio station. I I can do that with the books. Yeah. Um, I can um, you know, I can I order books for the writers and type in their address and it goes straight to them. I never have to touch it or. So it's it, the books are printed on demand or. Uh, yes. Excellent. That's that's excellent. So. So, new pulp. Tell us about the phenomenon of new pulp. What, what caused people to turn back to the the, the thrilling stories of yesteryear? Gosh, that that's a good question. And I suppose if if you ask ten different people, you would probably get ten different answers. Well, you probably get twelve. Yeah, <clears throat> for myself. Yeah, because I'm going to give you two right now, at least. Um, I, I think it's a number of things. I think it's nostalgia. There's a nostalgia factor there. 
I think uh, a lot of this stuff is cyclical. Um, I I think that people are are wanting to see something kind of new and different and like something that they liked when they were when they were kids or whatever. Um, I think the uh, and the, the 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 market for it is just coming back. If you look back at the original pulps, they they were cheap. They were printed on pulp paper. Um, you, you know, you could, you could buy one for probably a dime. Um, the, the you know, expensive ones. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Um, and but but there w- look what was going on in the world. There was a scary foreign war. We had a great depression. Um, compare that with now. We've got a great recession. We've got scary foreign wars. We've got people trying to kill us left and right. Um, it's it's just time for that again, and, and we've got a cheap medium uh, with print on demand and the internet. Um, we, it's, it has a cheap distribution medium, just like that pulp paper was so back in the thirties. So the pulp of today, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's you know the 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 format offers um, the opportunity to kind of go back. Um, to, to the old pulp style, um, fast-paced storytelling, short chapters, short books, uh, books that now we call novellas. They were they were novels back in the pulp day, and that, that's what you'd have in a magazine. You'd have two of those in a magazine, um, and you had you had writers cranking out three or four of those a month. You know, forty forty five thousand words. On, um, on today, that's not typewriters with yeah. carbon paper for rent money. Yep. Yeah, I, uh, and this <clears throat> sort of swung the other direction back in the seventies, where you had monumental works uh, still written on typewriters, <laughs> uh, written by people like Larry Niven and Jerry Purnell. A mode in God's eye. That was a that was a doorstop. That was, book. but at least that was readable. Yeah. <laughs> Some of those doorstops. Not so good. Yeah. Not so readable. Yeah, not well, so, yeah. pub, but, well, you know what? For every mountain god's eye, there was also like you know a full ra- full shelf of uh, science fiction magazines every month filled with novellas and sh- shorter forms. Mm-hmm. So you can't say that the seventies brought in all. Well, no, form. no, it wasn't. It wasn't all uh, super super length novels, but uh, the seventies definitely. I think the that was when novels hit their peak length. And now well, they're short. I, yeah, they were getting you know. paid by the word. Well, and publishers wanted thicker novels because they wanted to charge more. They they, they want to charge seven ninety nine, eight ninety nine, but you know, you've got to have an eight hundred, nine hundred page book to justify that. Um that now with, started with Lord of the Rings, which came over to yeah. uh, America <clears throat> in the sixties. And well, and it was published in three volumes. Well, yeah, but that was the publisher's choice. It was a contiguous story. Right. That would have been a doorstop if they'd published it uh, a decade later. That would have been yeah. the Oxford English Dictionary. Or no, it as. Come on. Well, it's, they're 400 or 500 pages a piece, aren't they? No. You had a 1,200-page book. No, I was there around 200. 200? Don't make me go go get the book. <laughs> I've got a copy of one of them here, and it's pretty thick. It's not uh, it, it, it's not a Joe Haldeman novel. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, it's it's not that thin. Uh-huh. I got a 
I got an Oxford English Dictionary right here, and it's bigger than Lord of the Rings. I'll tell you that. So Microtype. Yeah, the... Uh, uh, one of the things I was going to comment on, you brought up the uh, the Great Depression and and uh, the the easy, easily accessible, inexpensive uh, dime novels, and and uh, I was just thinking about how this sort of blended. They sort of blended into being comic books. Um, well, you there can, was the you same kind the of paper. Yeah. It's the same. <laughs> it was the same kind of paper. Slightly older audience. And it's the same. The same kinds of stories. Except illustrated, uh, frame by right. frame. Yeah, you you had a magazine based around a hero, or some type of character: the shadow, the spider, um, the purple scar, the Avenger, um, Doc Savage. Doc Savage. Yeah, yeah it just he was like big. Doc yeah, Savage they're they're very they're very proto comic book, especially the hero pulps. Well, and they had a lot of illustrations in them too. You know, like yes. you'd, you'd turn you'd you'd read ten pages and there'd be another picture. <clears throat> you know, because they could dash them off, and it was it it's because it you have solve. to know what a thope looks like, right? So the, I mean, I just the whole the parallel of it just struck me. You know, because EC comics uh originally published pulp stuff they weren't it wasn't a superhero thing at all pulps and westerns uh you know detective novels and westerns and horror stories and that's exactly the kind of thing that the new pulp is 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 built on right you're beginning to see more reflections of that in uh um motion motion media (laughs) um there's there's tv series coming up that are westerns things like that you don't you didn't see that five years ago you know and and now you've got films like cowboys and aliens that's a little scary (laughs) i saw that and just laughed my butt off but that seems to have inspired some other stuff some 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 knockoffs doctor who (laughs) yeah i i still want to see that film i haven't seen it I haven't seen it yet either. Well, let's all Netflix? get together. Is it on Netflix or something? I don't know. Netflix is is taking out a bunch of its library like tomorrow, so we better check. Ooh, yeah, okay. it's a week ago as of uh, this broadcast, but we'll talk about that later. So what if so uh, so this was your pilot project for for Mechanoid Press? Yes. And uh, well, it's it's my first anthology anyway. Yay. Um. So what's coming up next? Well, I've got a couple of, of uh, I guess, group projects. I've got, I'm doing a weird Western anthology called Strange Trails. Ooh, I love the title. Strange Trails to You. <laughs> <laughs> and I am, I've got a, a trio so far, unless I write one, of uh, it's a, a trio of uh, stories about robots. I'm gonna just call that robot stories. Um, I've got a story by James Tuck in there. He's the author of the Deacon Chalk uh, occult bounty hunter novels. Mm. Um, now there's a combination that uh, I think is really gonna hit big. Bounty hunters are big. Mm-hmm. It's Boba Fett with a you know with holy water and a cross or something. He's doing quite well with those, I, I believe. So yeah, we, we we met at Dragon Con, and um, he he's a pretty cool guy. And he was 
he was bugging me on Facebook, you know, when are you going to do robots? You're called Mechanoid Press. You need to do robots. So he was right, sense. of course. Right. <laughs> so I said, hey, you want to give me a robot story? So he's he's doing that. Um, I've got some great uh, Weird West stuff coming. Um, I just did an, a uh, short, uh, a Weird Western short story um, that I hope will be part of a continuing series. It's called West of Oblivion. Um, and the, the first episode, if you will, is called When the Dead Ride. Ooh. And it mixes uh, horror, fantasy, science fiction, and steampunk, often in the same story. Wow. Well, your well, Western sounds... era is is just just pretty much the same time period as the... Uh, as, 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 yeah, as it's the Victorian West. age, Western right. And, and 1860s, 1870s. From the, from so that... Yeah, 1860s to 1910, maybe? Uh-huh. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, Western and steampunk just goes together like peanut butter and jelly. Uh, and it meshes well with horror, too, for some reason um, that I haven't quite figured out. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm running with it. Well, um, you know, but, and a uh, hundred years ago, uh, information was a lot harder to come by, and superstition ran a lot uh, a lot more hotly than it does now. Although, if you look at the headlines these days and how we got enough horror on the news networks, <laughs> yeah, we do. Right. We don't need got, our fiction for We've that. got. Uh, we certainly seem to have enough. Uh, uh, how do how do they call it? Low information consumers. Low information. I'm not readers. even concerned as concerned about that. It's just the horrible things that happen. You yeah. know. You don't. You it's don't need people, people making stuff up. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's it's, it's crazy. They're, they, well, and and that that's when that stuff gets popular too. I, I think I think people like monsters that they can see coming. Yeah, here, here. Um, yeah, I think so too. You know. So you know, you've got zombies and and vampires and stuff. You know, you can usually see those coming, and and. You don't have the zombie defa- anti-defamation league coming after you if you write a bit a, a story about scary zombies. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> Unless you and that stuff's it. cyclical too. Yeah. Well, I I think I think zombies uh, zombies are still doing really well, but I think the consuming public is starting to get a little tired of brains. Brains. You know, and it's almost a comedic. It's almost a punchline now. Well, what's the next big thing? Yeah, if you figure the, that the out, you'll thing? be a very rich person. Right. Or do something with zombies that no one's thought of. Robots. Robot zombies. Robot zombies. Okay. No, I think Somebody already did zombies versus robots. I think Moonstone did that. Dang. Well, let's hear. Let's hope robots is the next big thing, and you'll be right there with the robot stories right out of the gate. That that's what I'm hoping. Robots and giant monsters. I'm I'm waiting to see how uh, Del Toro's movie Pacific Rim does. Oh, that's going to be that's going to be something. I mean, it is. Yeah, it, if it is, if it does if it does well, ten, I think I'm in a place. Yeah, that's for every ten year old boy inside the man who still wishes he could play with his transformers and you know robot. Yeah. Toys. Yeah, it really is. Give me a break. He's just he's just playing with his. Uh, you know what I'm talking. Yeah, about. and the voice of the uh, the voice of the AI for the giant robot. Uh, I was watching the trailer for that, and I picked up on that voice, <laughs> uh, and that was the the voice of um, 
GLaDOS from, from Portal. And as I understand it, they specifically sought her out because of that, because she'd be a recognizable voice. I thought it was a little bit jarring, frankly. It took me right out of the trailer and go, wait a minute, that's from Portal. Yeah, She's not a good person. She's the bad person. Well, I, I'm, I'm not a gamer, so I had to hear that stuff secondhand. Well, we heard um, it secondhand from the 14-year-old in the living room. From, from the guys that play weeks. Portal, yeah. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, I, I, you know, uh, uh, and and a, and a good bit of it se- um, seems to be self-referential. Um, I, I think that kind of comes in cycles too. You look at uh, Ernest Cline's Ready Player One, or something like uh, Geekomancy, um, as far as novels. Um, you know, people people really respond to that, and people, I think. Get, People my age or at an age now where they want to kind of analyze that stuff and get kind of meta with it. and um, Yeah, but there's that happens in every fandom. And <clears> I don't <throat> just mean the genre stuff, but, you know, you get you get two or three general hospital fans together and they'll be geeking out over Cassidines in ten minutes and no one else around them will know what they're talking about. And they like it that way. Right. I'd be completely lost. I just think it's generally horse piddle. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh, but honestly, that the melodrama, uh, that particular form, how much of a how much of a role do you think melodrama has in in pulp? Is it? Do you have? Do you have? Uh, well, that's plans the same time continue? period, isn't it? Well, it is. But uh, the idea behind a melodrama is that you start off at a certain level, and then you rise, and then you fall, and then you come back up, and you end up pretty much where you started as far as the emotional tone goes. And the reason for doing that is so that you can just have this never-ending story. It just goes right. on forever. Well, because so if you if anything changed too much, you wouldn't have a next chapter. You you can't kill the villain because he has to come and menace the, you know, so I've, the sidekick again. And this is why I've, I haven't been a big fan of melodrama, because it's just a big tease as far as I'm concerned. But uh, do you see... uh... You say that, (laughs) but you're a big fan of a lot of these very long, ongoing series. I mean, Star Trek, you know, it ends in the same tone when it starts. You got me there. Yeah. You got me there. So, James, do you you see um, melodrama as having a role in in, uh, New Pulp? You know, I I don't I don't think to the extent that <clears throat> that it did in the old pulp. I, I think the writers now are um, very cognizant of, of that kind of thing, um, and they they might put a little bit more introspection into things. I and mean, their characters aren't going to think about too much about what they're doing, and and you know they're not going to feel bad if they shoot the bad guy or kill the monster or whatever. Um, so you still have that very black and white value system, because if you spend too much time trying to evaluate that, your story comes to a stop. Well, then it stops being pulp. Yeah, I guess it's right. Stops. And you and you have you know it it it's easier too because you, you you tend to have kind of larger than life villains. You have villains who are just really really bad. There's no gray about them at all, and there's only one way to deal with those kind of people. Um, for me, I don't like the endless series 
mm-hmm. um, things, even in regular just uh, SF or fantasy novels. So the most I can do is like a trilogy, and then I'm done. I want to go do something else. And it's the same way with, with my writing. Um, everything I, I've done that I'm planning on doing has an arc, and then it will eventually end. I'm not going to go on for 10 years writing about um, Sam Eldritch. Um, uh, because us, that would about, uh, Sam that, that would bore me and bore my readers. Sam Eldritch is a <clears throat> 1930s uh, private eye character. Um, he was a cop. He had a partner named um, uh, Jim Malone, and they worked the Chinatown beat, and then one day a Chinese demon kills his partner, um, but it gives Eldritch kind of a second sight, so you can see ghosts and demons and um, monsters and all sorts of supernatural baddies that are normally invisible to everybody else. Um, so he ends up getting laughed off the force because no one else believes him. Uh, his only friends are a Chinese sorcerer that speaks in riddles named Chen and the ingenue of a jealous crime lord who is in actuality a siren. Um, one of the one of the singing women who uh, sang sailors to their doom back in ancient Greece. So what's, and, she, what's she doing with the, the crime lord? It, it, obviously no sailors <clears throat> around. No, but she's sure selling a lot of gin, isn't she? <laughs> exactly. You know, she she's in his club singing and using her charms to uh, separate men from their from their liquor money. And uh, well, that too. And she's she has a beautiful singing voice. Um. So. Yeah, it sounds like. Uh... Sam Eldritch would uh, would have a hell of a time with uh, social acceptance. <laughs> Why do you say that? Well, you know, everyone thinks he's a nutter. Well, yeah. <clears throat> but you, you well, know what? You've, you've got that in a lot of uh, characters who dip their toe into to the mystical and weirdness. Well, I, yeah, I, I like the reluctant hero kind of angle, and he, he's kind of that. He, he would much rather just kind of crawl in a gin bottle and never come out again, but he's, he's you know, he, he gets these cases that no one else can handle or wants to handle, um, and he, he walks on the weird side. And that's just kind of his lot in life, and he, he's trying to track down the demon um, that killed his partner um, with, uh, with Chen's help. And in the course of my, the first story, Slow Gin, it gives kind of his origin, um, and it answers, in, in solving his case, he also answers questions about what happened the day that demon showed up and ruined his life. Well, he's got a lot of potential as a character. I mean, just on as an ongoing character, you could probably tell uh, Sam Eldritch stories forever. Or get your friends to. I mean, this has all the makings of a, a shared world anthology series that could go on for years. Yeah, he's he's as a character, he's got tremendous <clears throat> potential. Especially if you're bored with him, set him free. <laughs> Let him. Well, I mean that that's a great idea. I hadn't thought of actually hadn't thought of letting other people uh, write him. I, you know, I am I am gonna you know finish kind of the I, I have maybe ten stories kind of roughly. Um, either started or outlined. I've just got to, I've been very slow to get back into it. Slow Gen took me a long time to get right. Because it's slow. 
Right. Well, and exactly. also creating <clears throat> creating his world at the same time. Well, and There's you had other projects. Well, uh, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to do you know some some novel link things as well. There's not a whole lot of money in in short story writing, even if you publish them yourself. Um, but uh, you know, yeah, he he he's a lot of fun, and I, I yeah, I think he does have a lot of potential. He's um, not enough like every other occult detective out there that there's something new and interesting about him, I think. Yeah, there are. You're, you're not the first one to come up with that notion. There's some, some that I like very much, but you seem to have the real deft touch with the Raymond Chandler scenario. You know what I mean? The descriptions. And that's that's what's setting your, your work apart. In this she's, she's been reading your stuff. Yeah, I really read well, thanks, before that... I go to these interviews. Well, thank you very much. That that is what I was what I was going for. I I call it kind of Dashiell Hammett meets H.P. Lovecraft. But, <laughs> I like it. Um, yeah. You know, there's, there's a yeah, there's a lot of Raymond Chandler in there too. Um, that kind of just very noir. Um, when very someone, gritty. When someone enchants your partner, you're supposed to do something about it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I, I do some different things in there, too. I, I have a biracial couple in there in 1930s Ooh, New York. Oh, boy. Was, you see, that's a bigger problem than the siren in the, in the gin joint. <laughs> exactly, well, exactly. Um, and, you know, and, and, and the first story, I stick a genie in there. There we are. So you've got ten stories uh, plotted out for him so far. Uh this sounds like I don't know. I mean, this is this is the kind of thing that you make TV series out of, a radio series or HBO web series or something. Or something you know. Yeah, this gets this gets back to the transmedia idea, and um, sooner or later they got to get done filming Game of Thrones. They're going to need another big thing. Yeah, this could be it. This, yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, I mean, you you look at uh, look at Harry Dresden. Made like one season of that show and gave up, which was kind of too bad. Yeah, I think they made some <clears throat> adaptations that diluted the the branding, if you want to put it yeah. that way. The 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 you didn't have Jim the Skull; you had a you know a, a spirit who you saw his whole body, and that's wrong. You know, right? A, a talking skull. Now that's distinctive. That is cool. I wish I had thought of that. Somebody already did, so don't. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 kind of fun to think about where it will go. And you look at Netflix and Amazon now doing web series. You know, there's so much uh, crap out there. It might as well be our crap. Exactly. That's what I say. <laughs> it's no better than what you're writing. So go for it. You have was, absolutely nothing to lose. I was uh, I was reading the trades uh, and. Amazingly, I still do after all this time. <laughs> the trades but that are still printing. The trade, the, yeah, the trades that are still printing, and uh, there was an article on how uh, how this year uh, the entertainment industry is just trying to expand into a, a huge number of distribution channels, and they're content starved. They are they're trying mm-hmm. to produce more content faster than they ever have before. And uh, it's a serious problem. Because well, they're dragging can't... the bottom of the barrel for established, so-called established brands. I mean, when you when you make a movie of Battleship, you're done. Yeah. yeah. 
what is it next? Go the motion picture. Well, there's. Some... Oh, I was waiting for Candyland. <laughs> yeah, there. Well, I don't know. I think part of Wreck It Ralph. <laughs> yeah, I think Wreck It Ralph already covered that. Yeah, ground. with Candyland oh, with okay. racy cars. Yeah. Uh, as two years ago, I read about uh, Lego the motion picture. Shoot. Oh Lord. Yeah, I'm just. Yeah, exactly. Shoot me. What could they possibly pull out of this to make a movie out of? You know, and I had the same opinion about Battleship, and I thought it was going to be a big shiny turd, and I was right. Yeah, it was. Uh, it wasn't one of the better movies we've seen. So, uh, uh, I I don't know. I I think I think that uh, when they rolled out Battleship, it was a sure sign that Hollywood had run out of ideas. So. I, you know, I, I, that's why I think that, uh, that's why I think that something like, uh, uh, your, uh, supernatural detective series could have real potential. I mean, it certainly draws from good family stock, you know, Carl Kolchak, for example. I mean, he had sort of the same thing. He had, uh, although it wasn't really clear what drove him in his, um, in his ventures, he always seemed to wind up on the weird side. Yeah, I think his was just kind of luck, I guess. Yeah, he wasn't um, a detective; he was a reporter. He was a reporter, yeah. Um, that you know, there's there's something kind of darker driving Sam Eldritch, I, I I think. And but this kind of an art is popular in in TV now too. People want this kind of overarching kind of thing. It's not they're just not going randomly from one adventure to the next. It matters what order you show the episodes in now. Um, it, the backstory matters. Um, so, yeah, you know, if you know any TV producers, let let them know about the about <laughs> well, the story. But well, as a matter you guys of fact, out there we, in LA. Well, as a matter of fact, we do. Uh, but, we plan to uh, talk to some of those in the next few weeks, so we'll drop your name. Yeah, I mean, it's cool. it's, it's getting getting funding for it. That's another matter. I mean, but essentially right. she's she's a producer, but she doesn't get them. You know, she she puts all the components together, but she doesn't necessarily get your funding for you. But uh, but I think the potential's there. I mean, you could easily take this and turn it into uh, turn it into a web series. It would take money, but you know what doesn't exactly. So. Um, what are you, let's see, we talked about what you're working on now. Um, where would you like to be going with uh, Mechanoid Press in the next, say, five years? Do you have a, do you have a vision of where, where you'd be in five years or ten years? <clears throat> well, yeah, just for me, and Mechanoid Press is a part of that, but you know, I, I would like to be... Um, writing and publishing novels, uh, both through Mechanoid Press and with traditional publishers, um, if, if a good deal comes along, um, and just kind of uh, just keep doing what I'm doing, um, but be able, to do it, uh, be able to do it bigger. Being a publisher must be a very difficult task, especially in this age of instant media and, and print-on-demand and you know, anybody can print their own book, and uh, and what a publisher brings to the table is the is the name, really, and and the ability to 
get the uh, oh, there's my phone uh, to get the uh, to get the name of the book out and to be able to manage the advertising campaigns and this sort of thing. And that that takes that's a difficult job. And here I am rattling on and on. I'm going to probably edit out about half of what I just said. <laughs> Let the nice man talk, would you? Let the nice man talk. Get to a point. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, you, you do have to put different hats on, um, but I, I think it's just the nature of the business now. Um, a writer just can't sit up in his glass tower and write and slide pages under the door at people to do something else with. You have to be a marketer. You have to be an editor. You have to be a book designer. You have to be a social media person. Um, I, I like the marketing stuff. I'm comfortable with that. Um, I used to be a copywriter. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, com- and I'm very comfortable with social media. Um, the hardest stuff for me is, 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 getting artwork and designing the covers and things because that's that's the one thing that I wasn't interested in doing for my stuff that I now have to do um, when I self-publish. Um, people talk about um, that's part of why they went into self-publishing so they could do their own covers and have more control over it. I would rather let somebody else do that, um, but I can't. Mm. So, you, you know, you, you have to take the good with the bad. I, I think uh, all writers today need to be learning these skills um, and learn how to do what I'm doing, at least in some capacity. Which is, um, because which is really, we're not just writers anymore. Yeah. We're, all, we're entrepreneurs. Which is a we're really scary thing if you think about it because uh, it raises the bar. I mean, if you want to be a writer, okay, that means you have to be a polymath. You have to be able to... <clears throat> Right, to jump on any one of six unicycles and pedal like mad, or have someone that, who you can really trust to do it for you. I mean, you know, the classic matter of the 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 writer or artist spouse with the manager spouse, you know, and and half the time the manager spouse runs away with the property and 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 the riches. Right. Yeah, it's it's very much. It's very much kind of, um, I, I look at it as we're, we're um, content creators, um, content producers. Um, I read a story once, it must have been late 90s, early 2000s, in uh, fantasy and science fiction um, that talked about that. It was kind of a take on Fahrenheit 451, but from a more modern take, and it talked about... Um, you know, you know, the guy was saying, I'm a writer, and somebody's telling him, no, you're a content creator. And the gist of the story was that that was a bad thing, and I, I disagree with that. I, I think that's a, that's a good thing. Uh, it's a necessary thing. Um, it's, it, it's, it's, it's what we are. It, it gets you out of this little pigeonhole of, uh, you know, you're not just a writer. You're more than a writer. Do you find uh, uh, do you find yourself having trouble? Um, no, let me scratch that. Uh, I've got to think of a better question. Is this, this is this is why we do this stuff off off the air? Because if we were doing this live, I would be so dead. <laughs> I was going to start asking, uh, you know, not not wrapping up questions, but like, you know, where where do you? 
But where can we see you? Are you do you have a convention schedule? You you live in in Dragon Con country, more or less. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm right smack dab in the middle of Dragon Con country in the geekiest city in the nation. Yay! I don't know if you guys saw that. Yes, a we did. Weeks ago. We were we were miffed that Los Angeles didn't even make the top ten. Wow. <laughs> you Not guys bad. are amateurs. Apparently, we <laughs> amateurs. just have all the movie studios here. And all the geeks are working for <laughs> making the real stuff. Not to mention any any brown coats we know in the studios, you know, authoring DVDs or anything. Right. Hi, Josh. <laughs> but well, that you know, they they looked at conventions and they looked at the number of comic book stores and the number of college educated people that live here and all that kind of stuff too. I so, <clears throat> um, but um. I don't have any conventions right now. In November, I'm going to be at the Georgia Literary Festival in Milledgeville. I'm pretty light on conventions this year, unfortunately. I'm not even doing Dragon Con. Um, But next year, I'm going to get back on the horse next year. Okay. So you're concentrating more on creating the actual content this year. uh, Yes, I need to do more of the stuff that gets me invited to conventions. Good point. Yeah, we, so that, we find that uh, uh, we're, we sort of have a different problem than you do. Uh, uh, we started out being something of, uh, well, we started out being a radio station, of course, but to attract people to the site, we had to be a news service as well. And uh, this is kind of a problem because there are lots of really great news services out there. Yeah, we can't compete with that, but we, we do other things that they won't even come close to. Yeah, I mean, we, I think we found our niche, creating content for the radio, uh, because you can't, you know, you can't watch TV while you're driving, but you can listen to your, you can listen to your phone, you know, or your your tablet sure. or whatever, your podcast. Uh, so we've got audio going for us. We could have Robot Stories, the podcast. Yeah, we could. could we could happen. do, yeah, we could do a radio show. There you go. Yeah. There you go. You know, if we were really clever, we would program an X minus one to come in after the show that was a robot story. I might be able to find. I'd be able to tweak that a little. Mm. I can cheat it. That's interesting. We I I love the old time radio uh, science fiction. Um, There's even a group in Atlanta called the Atlanta Radio Theater Company that that does new stuff. Oh, okay. Um, They they are fantastic. ARTC.org. Oh, um, I'll have to look them up. Check them out. They are fantastic. They do some great uh, adaptations of H.P. Lovecraft stuff. So they're they're doing the the public uh, yeah public domain. <clears throat> yeah, and and they're well, and they're they're writing yeah, but they're they're writing their own scripts. You know, they'll they'll change things up. They've they've gotten permission to do. Um, a Van Votes, the Weapon Shops. Ooh. Uh, they did. Um, they did some Robert Heinlein stuff. The man who traveled in elephants uh, has, has Harlan Ellison in it, and it's awesome. Oh, wow. um, um, they do just a lot of and, and a lot of original stuff. Harlan had produced quite a good series of his own uh, <laughs> audio plays, some of which were his own works, and some of which weren't. He was the Harlequin. Ah. Yeah, I, I have I have that collection. Yeah, he has such a great 
speaking voice, and he's such a natural actor. His his stuff is just um, anything he does is tremendous. Well, he's a screenwriter as well as a prose yeah. writer, so, and it and it shows in both both his milieus. So, do you find that your content creation is starting to feel, uh, I don't know, a little bit um, like it wants to slide off into other areas that you hadn't intended, or? Are you, or is it still firmly planted in the printed page? It's still firmly planted in the printed page right now. If if I could draw, I would be doing comics, um, but but I but I can't draw, so I, I've kind of I've kind of I guess put that on hold more or less. Um, you know, I, I want to do novels, and then if somebody wants to turn it into a movie or a TV show, I won't say no. Well, the great, um, the great thing about what you're doing is that you are building up a library of intellectual property. And the more right. of it you build, the stronger your position gets. And the more people will be drawn to what you're doing. The house that Sam Eldridge built. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I think I, Sam Eldridge has tremendous potential. Well, thanks. You, you guys are making me want to... Uh go right now and, and, and finish those stories. I had intended for that to be a collection mm-hmm. and not just one story, but it took me so long to do. Um, and I just, I really wanted something out there on Kindle um, for people to check out that I just went ahead and did that one. And then, you know, as I do more, I'll, I'll do enough to hopefully do a collection. Well, how uh, much of, how well, much we're of here to help, con- help convince people to write more and create more. That's perfect. <laughs> That is part of that is really part of why we uh, started the Event Horizon Radio Show is to is to do that. Uh, how much would you say of the work that you put in on that first Sam Elder story was actually uh, done doing your world creation, writing your backstory for it? Um, well, the backstory was actually the easy part. Um, the difficulty was uh, in in plotting plotting out what I wanted to do with uh, with Slow Gen. I had to strike a balance with, with not being too over the top with the genie. Um, and I wanted a kind of a, a, some kind of a twist ending. I just, I wasn't sure at first what that was going to be. Um, and I, I'm happy with the way that turned out. Um, and getting, getting kind of the, the, the voice, the voices of the characters right. Um, I hope that when you read it, that without dialogue tags, you can tell who's saying what, um, and just kind of, uh, you know, mainly just, you know, working out what that one story was going to be. So if we wanted to buy Slow Gin, what's the best way to do that? Um, it is available on Smashwords and all the various ebook formats. It's also on Amazon and in Kindle format. Um, you can also get it in PDF uh, from my website. That's mechanoid, mechanoidpress.com? Yes. Mechanoidpress.com and uh, jamespalmerbooks.com. We can put this all on the website. Yeah, we're going to put it all on the website, but for people who are listening at 9 o'clock at night with their headphones on, you know, having having their evening tea and uh, listening to great science fiction radio, this is... This is how they'll remember it. Mechanoidpress.com. <laughs> James Palmer, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, we look forward to having you on the show again. It's been great talking with you. 
I mean, it's just been a fascinating slice. Well, thanks very much for having me on and, and giving me this opportunity. I, I've, I've done uh, a few podcasts before, but it's always been in our little uh, pulp community, other uh, pulp fans. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad for the opportunity to um, reach a reach a wider audience with you guys, and I, I appreciate you guys having me on. It was fun. Oh, pulp fans are everywhere. You know who turned out to be a pulp fan? It was Bruce Boxleitner. We we had a chit chat with him a few weeks ago, and he's like all into Edgar Rice Burroughs and belongs to to you know the fan club and everything. Who knew? Exactly. I mean, yeah, we we do uh, um, we do pulp panels and stuff at Dragon Con and other conventions, and people will always come up afterwards and go, you know, I didn't know that, you know, I I like this stuff, but I did not know that's what it was called. Yeah, I and grew it, up on this stuff. I ate yeah. it like popcorn. And it's like they have a deeper connection to it now just having a name for it. And then they can go out, and now they can go out and they can seek it out. Well, yeah. Here's for here's to exploring the wild, weird west. So who wants to push the button tonight? You do. Oh, I get to push the button? Okay. I could push the button. I can't find the button. Where's the button? Here. Ah, God, you can't find a big red friendly button right in front of you? The one that says... Don't press this button. That's the one. There you go. <laughs> Start. You have been listening to Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon, Where the Impossible Happens. Join us each week at this time for a journey into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. This episode aired originally on April 4th, 2013. May the 4th be with you. Also, free comic book day, if you're keeping track of these things. It will air again on Sunday, May 5th, 2013, at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. Your hosts have been Krypton Radio General Manager Gene Turnbow and Executive Producer Susan Fox. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The part of the science officer was played by Mark Schurmeister, the part of the engineer was played by Christopher B. McGuire. The navigator was played by Christine Cherry, and the role of the captain was voiced by science fiction writer Larry Niven. If you have a company and you would like to be an Adventurizen sponsor, now is your chance. Email us at kryptonradio at kryptonradio.com for more information. Radio remains your best advertising value. Stay tuned for tonight's episode of X-1.